Hello and welcome to another episode of Tea with Culture. I'm Wal Hattar, and as usual, Hinma Zain is here with me. And this time, we're interviewing Bana Qattan from NYU Abu Dhabi Art Gallery about the current exhibition, Invisible Threads. Hello. Hi, Wal. Hi, Hind. Hello. It's good to have you here with us. Exciting exhibition. Thanks for walking us through it, and uh, I'm really hoping you're getting a good dialogue and engagement with the community here about this exhibition. There's so many important topics and themes and, you know, the role of technology. Just, I think that covers lots of anxieties and current issues and recent issues and issues to think about in the future. And I'm curious, I mean, what's the starting point? Like, what made you, and you co-curated this with Scott Fitzgerald, right? Um, And what made you start coming up with this idea? And I know it's been a, a year or so in progress to get to where we are today. Yeah, so Scott and I started um, about a year and a half uh, researching these artists and this theme. Um, And uh, we didn't want to do just another art and technology show. We wanted to do an exhibition um, that's a little closer to um, the emotion or the anxiety um, that technology has uh, on either political, social, or personal um, impacts, but uh, also how we can expose technology and how technology can expose us. Um, there's a couple of uh, pieces in the show that uh, talk about uh, that use technology in a way that these technologies that were invented were not intended on being used, such as the lie machine by Jamie Allen. Um, and so these artists um, are in, in a way exposing technology um, while other artists are looking at how technology exposes us. Um, whether uh, on or off the radar. Would this show have made a difference if it was or wasn't in a university-associated gallery, you think? Um, I think one of the advantages of being on a university campus um, is the different audiences that we get. So we get the typical art audience, but we also have a lot of students that um, have... um, have not experienced a lot of art or don't consider themselves as art students. Um, So we have a lot of engineering students uh, as well as, um, you know, uh, other scientists uh, that are coming through that are very intrigued by this exhibition in particular because of the addition of a piece about DNA or, um, you know, uh, the the historical reference of Sputnik, um, which is one of the pieces in the show, as well as, um, you know, the engineering behind, for example, Kerry Wong's squint piece. Um, so uh, this is probably one of those uh, exhibitions that's a little bit more accessible to... Um, different audiences, uh, and that's the advantage of being on this campus, is there are many different audiences here, as well as, you know, the academic faculty that um, think about exhibitions and um, um, kind of uh, think about them more um, as they come to the exhibition several times, since a lot of them live on campus. Um, But we also do a lot of programming in hopes that we get a lot of people from off campus, and that's Uh, We've actually been more successful with this exhibition. Um, So we're really happy to get people from off campus uh, to see the show as well. And it's quite interesting because a lot of the pieces are not necessarily dated, but from from the past, about technologies in the past, where when when they would have been done for that time, it was a different way of looking at technology and art. But for here, you have all these students who are at a certain age where they're just born into technology, rather than some of the older ones 
who you see technology developing and kind of coming with you, especially when it comes to social media, all the other interactions, all the clicking and drilling and everything else. So it's from, the, from them, I guess, it's an interesting way to, like a reminder mm-hmm. of technology being a thing that we have made and we use versus something that you have to live with and have to kind of, just, I guess, it does show different aspects of things for them to, to relook at, like you said, um, not, not only just artists or people interested in the arts, but rather the wider range of that age group seeing themselves on display in a way. Yeah, and to Scott and I, it was uh, very important to us that we didn't create an art and technology show that cr- that has a lot of what I call trick art, uh, because a lot of these um, art and technology shows have something that will move or will uh, attract the audience that is so much fun or so attractive that people don't think about the, the piece as much. They're more just intrigued by what it does or how it reacts to them. Um, and so we didn't we didn't want to create have too many artworks that. I mean, we do have one interactive piece um, and another piece that is activated by the audience. Um, but um, but that's the, the, it's very clear that the point and the inclusion of these pieces are not based in the fact that they have cool tricks behind them. Um, and so uh, and also um, the fact that technology, in a way, um, has been changing a lot, uh, or you know, the fact that our oldest piece is from 1990 that's in the show shows that there are the same ideas and the same concepts that are continued, uh, uh, continued issues that we should think about um, that don't actually age or date. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, you had curated this with Scott Fitzgerald. How is it like working with another creator on a project like this? And then how did that? How did the selection of the pieces go? What what kind of what changes would have been if it was just him doing the show, you doing the show? How has that impacted anything? So the reason it was so much fun to work with Scott is um, because uh, first of all, Scott is um, not a curator; he's a professor and an artist himself, um, and he is the head of the interactive media program here at NYU Abu Dhabi, um, as well as faculty at uh, Tisch in New York. Um, but uh, so first of all, he brings an expertise to this. I mean, this is what he. This is his life research is is, is in this field, so um, um, he brings that level of expertise that I think um, the show really needed. Um, but aside from that, uh, him being an artist himself, he um, he uh, <laughs> looks at the pieces in a very different way. Um, but he also gave me personally the confidence to um, to sh- show work that I didn't necessarily. Um, or our head of installations didn't necessarily know how to install or handle, um, and um, and as well as he's uh, a really uh, he's a personal friend and a lot of fun to work with. So, and can we talk about the choice of artists? Because you've got fifteen artists, so big feat in itself, and there's a range of ages and backgrounds and and histories. So I don't know if you want to you know highlight some of the key pieces i mean they're all very important pieces but i think um thinking of one of the older pieces from 1990 sputnik and um, and i think again relating to a university audience who it goes into like into history now so first understanding that history and why that happened and what the impact of that compared to the newest piece by munir al-qadiri which was um you know done today and again addressing issues relevant to the gulf region and so there's an amazing range of ideas and um so yeah do you want to should we talk about some of the works yeah sure so um uh this is the this is 
why um, we've spent a year and a half working on this show is uh, um, the research that we did going into it, studio visits, um, reaching out to artists that we think are working in this um, realm, um, and uh, three of which we, um, based on uh, studio visits or reaching out to them, we decided uh, to commission new work. So Evan Roth, we commissioned a new piece called Scroll, and this piece is a giant vinyl um, fingerprint that, w- that the artist lifted from his own touchscreen device. Um, we also commissioned uh, a new piece uh, by Munir Al-Qadiri, which you mentioned earlier, and this piece is called Spectrum 2. Um, and there are drill bits that um, are um, used to drill oil from the ground that um, have this iridescent color that is based on the color spectrum between pearls and oil. Um, and, um, and then we also commissioned Wafa Bilal to create... Um, uh, and a, se- a second piece that's connected to an older piece that he did. The older piece is called Canto Three, and this new piece is a is an actual satellite piece that um, will eventually turn into a performance and be launched into space after the exhibition. And I I guess it goes without saying one of the biggest names in this exhibition is uh, Ai Weiwei, and so you got one of his uh, pieces here. And yeah, any were there any challenges? What has been the reaction to this because I know when this exhibition was first announced I think a lot of people just latched on to oh there's a, an exhibition with Ai Weiwei and didn't really give enough you know attention to the other artists uh, in this exhibition so I thought that was first an interesting reaction to the media over here when this exhibition was announced but I think since then there's been decent coverage of the rest of the artists as well because like it irked me when it was the focus was just on Ai Weiwei but anyway I mean it's a fascinating piece to see here it's really big large-scale wallpaper mm-hmm. and and on it are images of um, gold you know so to describe it to the listener it, the color scheme is what gold and white and it's images of um, surveillance cameras and the symbol of Twitter and chains and a connect you know so the whole kind of connection of communication and online and yeah I know do you want to elaborate more on this or yeah sure so thank you for saying that I mean there are 15 artists in the show but Ai Weiwei is one of the bigger names so um, I I do understand why some people have latched onto it Um, we're really happy to have have included this piece Uh, naturally it was one of the artists that were was a little harder to reach out to um, which is uh, which is why um, you know, we started this whole process a year and a half ago. The piece is called uh, The Animal That Looks Like a Llama, but is really an alpaca. And um, it is a wallpaper piece, as you mentioned, um, that is a, a symbol of the Twitter bird surrounded by handcuffs and surveillance cameras. Um, so to me, the Twitter bird um, um, and the handcuffs symbolizes that you are forever tied to your tweets and you cannot erase the internet. Um, so you are in a way handcuffed to your to your social media, um, and the surveillance cameras are um, a, a reminder, I think, from from the artist that um, you are um, when you post on social media, the world is is watching you, and you're asking the world to surveil you, and you're asking your friends to surveil you. Um, the piece right opposite Aweiwei is that automated image generator scanner Google thing all put into one. Basically, it looks like a landscape size mid-level painting, but is a self-generating image that you said was scripted in. So, and I think that's probably three 
three or four artists that you have that have scripted their own work. So this day and age, knowing code also makes you an artist. I guess technology and art that goes hand in hand. But it's it's the one piece where all the artists did literally was just the code and the idea, because the work is all done by a computer visualizing over and over, and then another computer researching like, the comparisons to the real world. Mm-hmm. So. I guess here's where kind of the question is the when can you know when can one still be an artist in an interaction and then you you as a curator taking an inter and even when you said that you had commissioned some pieces as well like with wefa's wefa's piece and then you're adding it on and until i don't know do you see this show being done in a few years where all the artists are just generated artists Um, so Sebrin Verstig um, is the uh, is the artist that created Like. Um, that is um, the left side of the screen is the computer painting its own painting um, that is based on an algorithm that Sebrin wrote. Um, every one minute, the computer then does a Google image search of the nearest image um, that's on the Google image database that is the most similar to um, the painting that the computer has painted. Um, so um, in a way, yes, Sebrin is the one that wrote the algorithm. He wrote the code. Um, and the rest is left up to the computer. Um, and uh, so I, I see... Um, your uh, idea, but I, I've actually asked Sebrin about this, and um, he thinks that uh, there is no real um, identity issue in this. He doesn't see the computer as the as the maker. He sees himself as a very clear, uh, the clear artist and the clear maker of this piece, because the piece wouldn't exist without him. Um, but I, I understand why um, that's a question in people's minds. Um, Because if, if let me let's elaborate here. So the piece in entirety is his, yes. But if you take an image now, that piece is a computer-made piece. Correct. Yes, that's correct. The computer made that piece. Yeah. So and 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 I think it changes every minute, right? At least the the Google image is it switches every minute, while the the actual painting happens every second. So even in that sense, minute by minute, you have completely different visuals and images that are computer-made. Yeah, yeah. So the computer on the, the the part of the screen that's painting is completely live, and it's never repeating. Um, and uh, it's uh, to just to think about the fact that there's a painting being made that will never be repeated and never be completed um, in itself is uh, uh, it's uh, uh, to me is um, a very inspiring thought. Um, and then every minute, yes, it does a Google image search. Um, those images sometimes come up as the same image, uh, but usually not more than twice in a row. Um, it finds another image that's more similar. So just thinking about um, the way Google does their algorithms too um, is interesting. So Google has algorithms that um, try to uh, take your searches and give you answers uh, based on your searches that Google thinks that you want, answer, the, the answers that Google thinks that you want. And so just thinking about how this piece is actually tricking Google by constantly changing its search, every single time it does a search, it's changed just a little bit, a, a little bit more from the minute before it. So um, just the fact that Google is, is also being tricked by this piece, um, to me, is an added layer, I think, that I really like to think about. I mean, overall, the, the pieces you have are quite different 
uh, from one to one to the other, especially like I said, the, the dates in between give us different ways of looking at technology at different times and the impact here. So it's quite the curatorial aspect. You guys, the work that you guys have done has really created a um, not not a linear story, but a multi yeah. multi level cross connected uh, plot <laughs> uh, kind of soap opera aspect of conversation. So, so that's 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 always. Um, something that you can, I guess, come back to and re-see in a different way, especially how other works impact other works, and of course all the sounds and the noises that keep happening. Yeah, I mean, it's also where the, how the works position and how some pairs, like, you know, the different works are kind of almost inter, you know, uh, an interesting dialogue is happening uh, from a viewer's point of view, and one pairing I thought that was really interesting, and they're quite sculptural, and one is by Leo Boland's Angels, and... Uh, Adi Wagner sculptural piece from her Angels and Dragons, Data and Dragons. So Data and Dragons next to Angels. And both are very sculptural. There's lots of wires protruding out of the wall. And one's black and one's white. And so like, it was really interesting to see the two of them fa- almost yeah, facing each other. And what each one is doing, because the Data and Dragons one is live. Like you explained earlier that it's picking up all the wireless activities, so any emails, any messaging, any social media activities, it's being picked up. So it's lit up with these kind of green lights. And in front of it is this kind of static looking, to me, almost monstrous, even though it's called Angel. Of How many, how many wires are there of kind of recharging phone chargers? Mm-hmm. And, and it's heavy. And, and the more I look into it, and the more I start seeing you know, bodies and hand gestures. <laughs> and there's something really very monstrous about it, but it also addresses, as you said uh, when, during the tour, that it's about our reliance on, we need a charger and my phone's dying. And if suddenly you're away from technology, you feel lost. And so it was really interesting just kind of seeing this big piece representing that, this big weight where we, if we feel we don't have, a, you know, once the battery's dying and my computer or my phone and, oh my God, what am I going to do? And so it's really interesting seeing those two pieces. Yeah, um, I mean, it was definitely a curatorial choice to put them across from each other. Um, uh, They're both kind of the most wire-heavy pieces in the show. And like you said, there's the black and the white, and they both feel um, alive in a different way. I think um, Addie's piece um, is alive in the sense that you can see the constant blinking of communication passing through the sculpture. Um, and uh, Lou Bolins is um, it just uh, as you approach angels it's three it's a sculptural piece that's made up of three angels um, and they uh, have a very presence to them um, that looks light and uplifting but at the same time looks very heavy and uh, being almost like we're pulling down these angels with our need and reliance for the chargers Um, so they're they are in a way, um, they both have the same aspects of like heaviness and aliveness. Um, and, uh, like you said, them being black and white, I think I said that already, but, um, yeah. I, and I guess one of your loudest piece, but then it depends on how many people are visiting the site. So there's something very almost not ghostly, but there's something going on somewhere else and it, and the piece is activated <laughs> in the gallery. And that's really interesting. And it's alerting infrastructure by Jonah Brucker Cohen. And that, because we were walking around and suddenly we heard this drilling and this is a hole being made in the wall and then reading it, we realized this is a piece that's activated based on how many people are visiting the gallery's website. 
And it was interesting even seeing the numbers. So there's like, you know, 4,000 plus <laughs> visitors to the website. And now it becomes, should we should we bother Bana and keep visiting the website every few days when she starts hearing, the, you know, every few hours uh, where it kind of disrupts her day in the office. But yeah, that's like a really interesting piece where there's two separate actions in two different spaces, in my mind at least. Uh, and yeah, I don't know what has been the reaction to this piece and how, how did this come about? Um, so actually, uh, this is uh, um, a piece that Scott has known about for quite a while. It was a piece made in 2003. Um, um, and uh, Jonah made this piece at a time where people um, really valued the number of hits that people had on a website. So they used to have hit counters um, somewhere visible on the website. And um, and for us to have this piece in the show was, uh, was kind of crucial to us. Um, and uh, it's a physicality of our use of the internet. So every time somebody goes to a has a virtual hit on our website, we get a physical hit in the building. And uh, considering the fact that we actually proposed this show to our board of directors about a year and a half ago, when our gallery was only six months old, we were sure they were going to say no to this piece, and we were pleasantly surprised that they were actually excited about it. But. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a physically damaging building, uh, physically damaging the building, um, and and uh, when you actually go to the website, it tells you how much of a damage um, your specific hit has created um, on 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 our webpage. Um, it's a little bit difficult to describe. And anyway, the show is on till the 31st of December, so people can still come in, and uh, except for Sunday, and 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 enjoy the show and see all the interactive bits. Uh, that are that are in it, whether drill bits or uh, all of the kind of technical bits. And so after this, you guys have a continuing uh, show collection, and it's going to be. I know you, you told us that you have more or less the next few years plotted in. So what's the first one that we're going to be expecting to see from you guys? Yeah. So in the spring, um, we have a, a contemporary art show from the UAE, um, and uh, the title that we're still is still a working title, but we're thinking about calling it um, the five, the four, the six, the seven. Um, there's a moment in history um, that uh, the UAE art scene um, uh, went through that we're trying to talk about, and it was uh, the pre the flying house. Um, and uh, at that time, the, the group of artists that kind of hung out together and uh, created a community together were called the Five. At one point, they were also called the Four. At one point, they were also called the Six, and hence the title. Can you elaborate on the Flying House? Um, yeah, sure. So it was, a, um, it was a made up of a group of artists, um, one of which was uh, the late Hassan Sharif. Um, and um, the Flying House eventually became a space that was uh, their studio. Um, but the exhibition that we're concer- that we're creating is concerning the the kind of the more grassroots or the actual upbringing of the art scene and how it actually got to the flying house. Assuming that when you actually have a title for uh, for your group or a location for your group, that um, the scene has already been created. Yeah. Um, so we're looking at um, the the nurturing uh, uh, communities that create an art scene. Okay. Wow, sounds super exciting. Looking forward to that. Thank you. Banna, thank you for taking the time and, and talking to us and taking us through the show. And as we said, Invisible Threads, Technology and Its Discontents is on till December the 31st at NYU Abu Dhabi Art Gallery. And from us, and uh, this is a goodbye. 
Make sure you visit this exhibition. Bye. <laughs>